0: The scripture reading this morning is from 1 Chronicles eleven twenty-two through 25, and Jordan told me I'm on my own with the name, so bear with me. <laughs> and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabziel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two heroes of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when the snow had fallen, And he struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. The Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam, but Benaiah went down to him with a a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, we are continuing in our summer of story and uh, been having some fun with this series as we've been rethinking the story of Gideon and David and Goliath. And uh, one of the, my favorite things to do is to preach. Familiar stories, overly familiar stories. But this is a, a character in the Bible you may have never heard of. And uh, that's the other thing I like to do. I like to preach very obscure things in the Bible that you've never heard before. And I thought in the summer story, I at least wanted to do one story that you probably have never heard before. And I, really, I'll be honest, I had never heard of this guy before. I saw a book by a guy named Mark Batterson. Called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. It was a great titled book, and it was a great book if you've ever get a chance to read it. But here is the story of Beniah. He, he's listed in 2 Samuel and then recounted in the book of 1 Chronicles. And if you've ever read the Bible straight through, when you get to Chronicles, you think, wait, I just read this. And it's true. Chronicles is a retelling of. Uh, to the Samuel and Kings books, okay? So, in fact, some of them, like the story of Benaiah, is really almost word for word. They just copy and paste it into the new one, and then some of it, actually, they do make some adjustments, and we'll see that a little bit here today. Now, David, this is right in the middle of the story of David. David is this mighty warrior. He, he, we talked last week about he, how he slayed Goliath, and uh, he then goes on to be this mighty warrior, this amazing combatant. And the text tells us that he has this group of men that do battle with him, that are part of his sort of elite force. They call them the 30. Although if you count them, there's 36. So I don't know what's up with that. Uh, there's 36. Uh, even if you don't count the, the three, they say there are three main ones, the three leaders. You still get 33. But they're called the 30. David's valiant men or mighty men of valor. Here are the three uh, it talks about Joshabim, who was chief of the three. He killed 300 men with a spear. Eleazar was one of the three. He stood his ground against a bunch of Philistines when they tried to take a field of barley. And Abishah, who killed 300 with a spear as well. Okay, so in this chapter, uh, in, in, in the parallel chapter in, uh, in Chronicles, uh, or in Samuel... Uh, we get sort of just the resumes of these guys. There's one other leader that's sort of important, but not part of the 30, technically, a guy named Joab. He's the brother of Abishah. And he becomes the chief of the entire Israeli army because David says when they attack this Jebusite city, uh, which, as David would later name it, Jerusalem, uh, he said whoever kills the king of the Jebusites will be the chief of the army, and Joab does it. And so we get these three elite warriors, we get uh, Joab who is the, the uh, brother of one of them and the chief of the army, and then comes Benaiah. Benaiah is elite even among the 30, though the text says he doesn't make it into the top three. Uh, but I didn't vote on that, so we'll just have to see what we think about that. Uh, Beniah's name means uh, comes from the Hebrew "bena," meaning to build up, and the beginning of the word for Yahweh, the name for God. So it probably means something like "the Lord has built up" or "the Lord builds up." He first shows up in uh, Samuel as the commander of the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and we actually don't really know who those were. If those were just uh, sort of elite mercenary military people, or if they were some smaller tribes or cities, we're just not quite sure. We know that his father was a priest, and his grandfather is mentioned in another passage as a valiant man. The Bible calls Benaiah a doer of great deeds, and proceeds to say three great deeds that Benaiah did. He kills two heroes of Moab, he kills a lion, and he kills a giant. So let's take a look at these in turn. First, he kills two heroes of Moab. Now, when it says heroes, it means it would have been their best soldiers. And uh, we talked about this a little bit with the story of David and Goliath, that that what you would a lot of times do, rather than have the casualties of war, you would have your hero or your best warrior be able to fight one-on-one in single combat to decide the entire thing. You give me your best soldier, I'll give you my best soldier, and they'll duke it out. And the winner will just say, that's the winner of the battle and spare everybody Uh, the battle so when it says heroes the word probably means that, that these are two of moab's key soldiers okay they were two soldiers where if we ever needed somebody to go and be our single combat representative we would choose these guys the text says benaiah kills two of them and the implication there is he fights two of them at the same time and he beats them The book of 2 Samuel writes this in a very unusual way. Remember, Samuel is the older version, the older Hebrew, that Chronicles then reworks. And it says that Benaiah struck down two, and then, depending on the translation, we're not quite sure what it says. It says, Ariels, Ariels of Moab. And uh, what is an Ariel? We're not quite sure. Is it a name of a family? Is it a, a certain type of soldier that we've sort of lost to history? Apparently, this is a little bit confusing even for the chroniclers because they write hero. They don't even use this word. It's the only thing that chronicles changes between these passages. They must recognize the trouble too. One solution is that the word "Ariel" is very close to the word era, which is the word for lion. And so what the text could be saying in sort of a poetic wordplay is that, that what Benaiah does is he kills two lion-like men of Moab. And this makes some sense, right? Especially when the next verse, it says that actually Benaiah once killed a lion. And let me read the verse again. It's, It's so good. He also went down and struck a lion in a pit on a day when the snow had fallen. Okay? He went down, struck down a lion in a pit on a day when the snow has fallen. Now... How many of you would want to face a lion? Okay? So, lion versus you, who has the advantage? Lion. Let's give that one to the lion. Now, in a pit, enclosed space, so you can't get away, you can't hide behind stuff. It's literally just you versus lion. Advantage you or lion? Lion. And and what has just recently happened? Snow. So it's a slippery day, okay? Now, snow, advantage you or lion? Lion, three strikes against you here as you face the lion. Many of us, if I was in a pit with a lion, I might just lay down and pray it ended quickly, right? A lot of us would not have that good of a chance against a lion in a pit on a snowy day. But, but here's the really critical part of the verse. What the first actually says is he went down and struck a lion. Which means the lion's in the pit and Beniah makes a choice to go into the pit after the lion. Okay? When you make a choice like that, there are only two endings to that story, right? Either it's that crazy Beniah guy that went down in a pit and got killed by a lion, or this amazingly brave character named Beniah who went down and slayed a lion there's no halfway okay? there's no middle ground in that story he actually goes down in fact you could almost translate that he pursued it or he chased the lion he goes down in that pit after that lion now i would guess even among the rest of the valiant men this is a pretty good on the resume right that you would go after a lion but if that's not enough benaiah also killed a giant. An Egyptian that stood about five cubits. We talked about this last week. A cubit is the is a measurement of your elbow to your fingertips. And even if your height is a little bit different, most people that's fairly close. With your if you try, try it with your neighbor later or test it around the dinner table, you'll find most cubits are about the same. It was a pretty good way of measuring. So five cubits puts this Egyptian at about seven feet tall. And this Egyptian had an enormous spear. It says the spear is the size of a weaver's beam. Now, when you weave, and some of us learned this at Vacation Bible School, uh, you have to string stuff up and then then weave in between them. So whatever you're weaving on, when you're pulling on it and weaving together, and then you're putting more and more weight on it, it's going to tend to bend, right, and come together. But if it does that, then all of a sudden your line starts looking like this right? So you have to have beams at the top and bottom that do not move. They're not flexible at all and can handle the weight and pressure of a big weaving, okay? Like, like if we were weaving a rug or some big piece of cloth, it's got to be able to handle that. So we, we know that this, from this time, a weaver's beam, probably two to two and a half inches in diameter and doesn't move. I mean, it's got to be heavy. It's got to be hard wood. It can't be a light wood, and it probably would have been at least as tall as uh, this giant was himself. Most spears are at least as tall as the person that carries them. So we got a two, and a, two to two and a half inch diameter. It's maybe we'll say seven, eight feet long, eight foot long spear. The text says, Benaiah went down to the man. Again, the word is active. Okay, So he doesn't get caught by the guy. He goes after this Egyptian giant and actually with just his staff. And the text tells us that he manages to take the spear away from this giant and kill the man with his own spear. He disarms a giant. Now look, David gets all kinds of credit for what he did to a giant. But he used a sling and didn't get anywhere close. You understand that? Benaiah had to go up close enough to get the spear from the guy. That means Benaiah is ridiculously strong, by the way. Okay, if we could have a seven, eight-foot spear with that diameter, or a hardwood pole, I, I'm willing to bet that a lot of us in here could not lift that, let alone really move it around. And the text says that Beniah did not make it into the three. Again, I didn't vote. Yeah, he'd be in my three, right? He'd be in my three, but he didn't make these three. But because he was so brave... Because of the kind of character that he was, David put him in charge of his bodyguard. And David made a lot of mistakes in his life, but, but one of the mistakes he did not make is, is some of those warriors and friends that he had. And one of his great strengths was making Benaiah the head of the bodyguard. you got to understand how trustworthy your bodyguard had to be. Okay? Who was going to assassinate you? It was probably going to be somebody close to you. Your most trusted people better be your cook's, and your cupbearers and your bodyguard because they're with you all the time. We know this is a great decision by King David because Benaiah remains a trustworthy and loyal warrior even after David's death. And, and by the way, being David's bodyguard, not an easy job. Okay, Before he's king, Saul tries to kill him and afterwards he has all kinds of trouble, especially with a son named Absalom you can look up the story of Absalom later he is this uh, uh, the text describes him he's, he's handsome and he's charismatic and he starts to undercut his father's person uh, popularity until finally the text says in 2nd Samuel 15 that he stole the hearts of the people of Israel in other words they loved him they didn't love David they loved him and so he ends up really getting to run Israel and forcing David to be on the run. David on the run and David watching out for his back wherever he goes. And who does David have with him to protect him? Benaiah. Everybody say it. Benaiah. Yeah, You've got to remember this name. This is a great, great name and a great, great story. Okay. Now, David makes a commandment that, that even though his son Absalom has betrayed him, has taken over his kingdom, he, that no one is allowed to kill Absalom. Okay, David has, even though he's a warrior, uh, we, we know from the text, David has a soft heart. He loves his family. And uh, he does not want to see his son killed. But, but Joab, that head of the army, that was not part of the 30, but was the head of the army, gets an opportunity to attack Absalom and he does and he kills Absalom David mourns very openly and very publicly even as he's returning to Jerusalem and returning to his throne and uh, this doesn't sit well with some of the other warriors particularly Joab the man that killed Absalom he thinks Absalom was a bad guy and what you as a king should do is put down anybody who gets in your way this is what kings have done for thousands of years for David to have this tender heart for his son who betrayed him for Joab that looks like weakness Uh, and so from then on Joab and other people seem to want David out of there right before David dies David makes it clear that he wants his son uh, Solomon to be king but Joab and some of the other people see in Solomon some of the same characteristics in David that they don't want in their king. So they, uh, uh, they decide to make Adonijah king. Adonijah is the younger brother of Solomon. He's again a handsome guy like his brother Absalom. But uh, he's the younger brother of Absalom. I can't remember where Solomon is in there. But he's, like, he, he's a lot like Absalom. So David gathers those loyal to him, including the prophet Nathan, who spoke out against David with Bathsheba, the priest Zadok, and Benaiah, his loyal bodyguard. And he affirms the decision that he wants Solomon to be king. And the text sets this up beautifully. It's a great story because uh, Adonijah has made sacrifices with a different priest and is now having a big celebration as if it's the coronation that he's going to be the next king. And David says, forget that. And he tells uh, these men to march Solomon in, to anoint him with oil as the next king, and to march him into town. So they have this basically, while Adonijah is having his party to be king, David sets up a parade for Solomon. Okay? So who do you think has to guard said parade? Benaiah. That's right, Benaiah has to guard this moment when uh, Joab and Adonijah see that uh, Solomon has the support of the people and particularly that he has the support of Benaiah and what's left of the 30 they back off and then after David dies and when Solomon is king based on David's instruction Solomon proceeds to do what David didn't have the heart to do but told him to do which was wipe out those enemies. So he, he has uh, Joab killed. He has Adonijah killed. And who do you think has to be the one to carry out these killings? Beniah. Now, I'm sorry if that sounded a little Game of Thrones, right? But it's 3,000 years ago. The world is a different place. And, and kings did this kind of thing. And... Uh, this becomes, in in the Bible, I think it's a problem that the kings of Israel look too much like the kings of everybody else. Okay, it's why in the Bible there's only one real king that lasts. And it's a relative of David, but a distant relative, it is Jesus. But what I want to highlight today is the bravery of this man, Benaiah, who faced two lion-like men, who chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day who went after a giant and took his spear from him to kill him who protected and stood by David and Solomon and when Joab was killed guess who became the leader of the Israeli army Benaiah took his job I don't know about you but I've always been fascinated with bravery anybody else what makes some people brave Why do some people rise up when others in the same situation cower? Why do some run towards danger when most would run away? I think of the military, the police, the fire department, medical professionals, those first responders who when things get difficult and everybody else is running away, they are running towards. Those people who can keep their head and keep moving in the middle of difficulty. Many when they face a lion especially in a pit with one, would be tempted to just lie down. Few people would stand up to the lion, and maybe when you're forced, you do more than you could have, or that you thought you could have. But very few people would chase the lion into the pit. What makes a lion chaser? And, and I'm sure that you have seen lion chasers in your own life, right? We have all seen people that... the Something happens to them, or they get a cancer diagnosis, or um, life seems to beat them up. And we've seen those people that cower, and we've seen those people that have this amazing ability to go through the pit and face the giants with such dignity and courage. Everybody know what I'm talking about? What makes some people like that and others not like that? As I think about the New Wilmington Mission Conference, I, I was thinking about missionaries who give up most of their lives, some of whom give up their whole lives. Some of them meet their end on the mission field. I was thinking of those Christians who meet in secret, those Christians who can't do what we are doing here this morning, Christians who are beaten, arrested, and even killed for their faith. And all they have to do to avoid that is say, no, I don't really believe in Jesus. And yet they go through it. They are the real lion chasers. They live in the pit every day. And the question is, where do we get this kind of courage? Because I'm going to be honest, when I look at the church in America or in places where we have a lot of freedom, we're never really forced to make those kind of tough choices. And so we have kind of a not brave faith. Well, those people are willing to die for their faith, and we're not sure we really want to talk to our neighbor. Right? We're not totally sure we want to ask a coworker to church. Because we're not sure how that's going to look. So what makes people so brave? Well, I'm convinced that lion chasers have a couple things in common that we can learn from Beniah. One is that they, I think we, they train and prepare. I bet you Beniah did not start off fighting lions. Okay? I bet you he got stronger. I bet you he got better. I don't bet you after he fought those two guys from Moab, the lion didn't look so bad. And after facing a lion, the giant's really not that big a deal, right? That, that step by step, he gets better, and he trains, and he's faithful, and he's brave, and he gets more responsibility, he's brave there, and he gets more responsibility, and he's brave there. I can't tell you how many times I have witnessed as a pastor people who go through very difficult times, from, from a diagnosis to a struggle and a marriage that falls apart, And suddenly they're in a marathon and they haven't done any training. Suddenly their faith is pushed to the brink and they haven't done anything to get stronger. They haven't read their Bible, they haven't prayed, they haven't grown, they haven't trained up their faith, they haven't leaned into Christian community. And then they're in the marathon and it's too late to train now, we're in it. You don't start those habits when you're in the pit. You start those habits before you get in the pit. You you start those habits before you get to the giant. That way, when you face the giant, they're already there. Number two, lion chasers, I think, accept the moment. So often, our prayer when we go through difficult times is, Lord, get me out of this. Lord, take this away. I don't want to deal with this. Lord, get me out of this. Just take it away. And I think that's natural. Even Jesus prays in the garden, right? Take this cup from me. And yet Jesus' follow-up to that prayer is, but not my will, but yours be done. Here's the hard truth. That Jesus prays for his disciples to not be taken out of the world. The hard truth is this. Maybe the snowy pit with a lion exactly where you're supposed to be. Maybe God has you going through difficult things to prepare you for worse things down the road or to show grace and favor and example to other people who are seeing you in the pit. And so it's okay, I think, occasionally to pray, Lord, take this away from me. As long as you don't forget the not my will be your be done part. Lion chasers, when the pit comes, they head for it. They go through it. When the giant comes, they move that way. And thirdly, I think lion chasers are not alone. Yes, Benai did some of these things by himself. But if he was friends with a bunch of these other violent, valiant men, That's really pretty inspiring, right? If you feel weak, if you feel like you're not brave for what you're going through, surround yourself with other brave people. Surround yourself with other people that can tell you a story. Oh, yeah? 300 guys with a spear. I did it. You can face your giant. Okay? You get around some of those heroes. You get around some of those brave people. You read the stories of the voice of the martyrs or of these great heroes in scripture and you find a strength that you didn't know you had because you didn't have it. You got it from everybody else. I think this was the strength of David. And here's the really hard part. It's one thing when you're stuck in a pit with a lion to be brave. When you're forced to. You ever ever been forced to be brave? When you're forced to, it's one thing. But, But it's when you're not forced. When you've got to find the willpower, it's why small things are so hard. When Peter is facing off against all these people coming to arrest Jesus and he has a sword, he can pull it out and he can be brave. But when it's a servant girl in the garden, he's a, a wuss. Because the hard part's the little things, not the big things. Little bravery. Put me in front of a firing squad where I have to proclaim my faith, that's fine. Put me in front of my neighbors where I've got to try to invite them to church or talk about how Jesus loves them. Whew. That's intimidating. It's the little things. It's the little things where we have to learn to be brave. And so I hope this story of Benaiah will inspire us as individuals and as a church to pursue big and difficult things for Jesus. Things everybody else says are not possible but also inspires us to daily give ourselves over to Christ and his will. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the lion chasers. We thank you for people who serve our community like police and firemen, first responders in our military. We thank you for missionaries who, like Benaiah, are doers of great deeds that we don't celebrate enough. We pray for them and for the persecuted church around the world. May they be strong in you and in the power of your might. And Lord, I pray that we would be braver. May we say things that other people shy from saying. May we, with your guidance, attempt things that no one thinks possible. May we, with your strength, chase down big dreams and giant ideas. Help us that we may daily die to ourselves and live for Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.